You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. So people, welcome back. We have another episode and I'm really excited because it's another one of those episodes where I actually get to speak to a friend of mine, someone I've known for for many, many years. And um, you know what, let's just let's just kick it off, go straight in. Dave Ashby, how are you? Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm good. Just finished my work day. So uh, I've got a coffee here and I'm <laughs> trying, to, trying to get the energy to, to do this. So bear with me. Yeah, that's that's cool. I'm sorry to keep you in on such a glorious day, but it is it is June. It is Pride Month. You are the first podcast going out this month. We've got a few others uh, that have been recorded, some very exciting things to come. But I wanted you to come in because me and you have spoke previously um, on kind of more of a personal level about how you feel uh, about Pride. Um, but before we jump into to that, uh, I did want to ask what your your pronouns are. What do you what do you go by? Uh, he or him is fine with me. Yeah, just brilliant. Pretty normal, like gay guy. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that ten years ago, you saying to me normal and gay guy in the same sentence. Do, do you know what? Maybe off topic, but um, I did see uh, a couple of I guess gay guys um, on the street as I was driving home the other day. And having a very intense and very intimate moment as I'm just like driving past. And it was really nice to see just that. Yeah. Know, just in, just, just there on the street, really intimate moment. And I'm just driving past like, oh, that's nice. You I wouldn't what, actually, that. That, back, that was been Bevanstar. I wouldn't do that back in the day. Oh so, yeah. 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 Of course. Well, that, let's actually jump into that straight away. I'm happy. And yeah. then we can talk about a lot of the design stuff. Um, let's go for it. What, what does pride mean to you? personally pride is a celebration of how far we've got you know uh in in society at the moment and uh it should it should be that it should be a a a celebration and acknowledgement of how far we come and then to anyone who's new to this world let's say you know kids and things like that who don't understand what pride is and what uh lgbt uh plus culture is then it's um you know it's getting it's getting shown to them as you know it is a thing you know because there's so much of this sweep it under the rug you're not ready to know or i'm not seeing it so therefore it doesn't exist sort of culture uh which is something that has been you know taught into people because that's society and there's places in the world still which you know don't have the freedoms that we have in the uk and even the UK isn't perfect, and but we've come a long way. Even in my lifetime, it's it's kind of shocking how far it's come, you know, in in that short amount of time. And I'm talking like decades, you know, if that. Um, there's because uh, I remember there was there was times when I would just be literally going out clubbing and I you know walking down the street and I I you know me I I don't really you know dress in a certain way or act in a certain way that would scream oh my God, he's a raging homosexual, right? <laughs> but walking down the street, I would still get heckled and called names and things. And that makes me think, my God, can you imagine being trans and walking down the street? Um, it would, the amount of abuse you'd get. And these days, I don't know, I would, if I, if you saw someone who was, say, trans, very obviously walking down the street, would, would you get uh, heckled? 
maybe. Depends where you are. Not everywhere, especially not in London, I don't think. But, you know, there probably is places. Um, and it and that's that's what you're fighting for. But we, we talked about this uh, off offline. That, um, like me personally, pride is so important. Pride celebration is so important as an acknowledgement of what, how far we come. And it's very easy for the younger generation to misconstrue that as an excuse for just a party or just to show off, you know, and it's, it's not about that. It is, ex- it is about celebrating and it is about acknowledging who you are and showing it off to the world in a way that's comfortable and you can do it on stage or on, on a float or, you know, in the street. That, that's great. But the reason a lot of people, especially now, get annoyed or at least don't accept uh, you know, gay culture as much as they should is that, or <laughs> I say they should, but, you know, is that it is very much sometimes rubbed in their face, you know, just like, look how far we can go. Why don't we now have our own straight pride? Because you get this day where you can do whatever you want. And it's just like, yeah, that's not what it's about, you know. And it's, under- it's that understanding or misunderstanding. And I think there's some on that on both sides, it's like misunderstanding what pride is because of how it's shown in the media. And then also what pride is to what, what people think pride is when they're there and they're a kid and, oh, it's just an excuse to do whatever I want because, yay, we're, you know, we're allowed to. It's like, that's not really what it is. Do you think, do you think we've lost the history a little bit? Do you think we lose sight? I think it should be taught more because it's very interesting the roots of uh, what Pride originally came from and how the original, I say, movement, uh, you know, came about because it's very tied to black culture as well and the oppression that is there. Um, and it should be it should be taught about and an early age. Like, it's, it's very important for that. But I was never. And, you know, and it's the reason I didn't come out until I was what uh about 21 i think i came out which is quite late in your life to come out as gay but i knew i knew when i was like i don't know maybe about 13 when i was starting to you know develop that way and i always knew but i would never admit it and even when i was had gay friends at college and stuff i still wouldn't come out and they used to say to me it's like why didn't you come out sooner it's because literally everyone around me all my friends and stuff even if they were you know accepting of their, their other gay friends that we were all in a gr- friend group with as soon as they weren't there and they weren't in the picture there would be jokes not malicious but they would still be like you know mm, the, the queers are out again you know that sort of thing that mentality and it just it just makes you oh, i don't feel comfortable and it was only when i actually moved to bristol and i didn't know anyone that no one was ever going to judge me so i could just at least just test the water and that's when I found out, for sure. Yeah. No, so because I know me and you met um, through through things in the in the music industry. Fashion was one of them, um, and then we went on to do uh, music work together. You you were designing merch for for artists. You would you, you had like a clothing line that endorsed by artists, and we um, discussed kind of more more about like the pride festivals. And you you did the design work uh for for bristol pride um let let me let me uh just cover that i just so um because of my connections with people in the in the gay community especially in bristol uh i got to know a lot of the organizers and things just as friends 
And because I was doing design work around the time, it was pretty much uh, a mixture of graphic design and 3D. Uh, yeah, I was still practicing my my sort of skills back then. And I ended up doing the original branding for uh, the Bristol Pride event, which was back in, I think, 2016. So it was a, mm-hmm. for a couple of years around that sort of time. And since then, it's been updated as well. Again, I've worked on it again. Uh, so you basically have the, the dark branding and now the light branding. There's there's two that I made and they're still used today, which is brilliant. Um, so it's nice to like, see my work up there. And like, there's some interesting stories around that in that um, I mean, when I first originally made it, uh, you know, you look at the, all the design posters and things of you know, rainbow on everything. And I tried to be kind of like, oh, maybe we could change some of the colors slightly so it looks a bit more designed and um, not just, you know, every color. But, but the thing is, you can't do that. So this is what I learned from, from doing the, the whole, uh, you know, using rainbows in, you know, a branding point of view for Pride is that the colors on the flag, especially back in then, because, you know, this is 2016. I mean, uh, you wouldn't see much of like, even like the trans uh, colors back then. It was So there's much more variety of colors these days you can have on a flag. But back then it was pretty much, you'd only ever see that sort of standard rainbow. But even having just those colors, they need to be, you know, the purest, the, those colors, because uh, they all have representation. They all mean something. Uh, so it's like all encompassing. It fits everyone. But especially back then, again, like it needed to be those colors. So it's interesting doing the work because then you get to see that side of things. So I learned things just by doing, you know, by helping out in that way. Um, when it comes to the branding for like a pride festival mm. um maybe maybe okay and you can answer this in two ways uh when we're saying back then um we're talking yeah 20 let's say 2014 2015 mm-hmm. um and then when we're saying like that now we're here, we're here in 2021 even though festivals are still a little bit everyone's a little bit unsure things are going ahead there's still design where that needs to be done um back then were you making them less in your face we're always or was it or was it more about kind of look this is our this is pride festival we're gonna make it as as much as i guess as, as gay as we want it to be um and of course answer the question in both how you felt back then when it came to designing and how it came now because these posters were everywhere yeah um, on the on these sides of buses billboards yeah. uh where can you be with that so, so the original one, if I describe it, it was a sort of a dark, almost like black poster with big, bright rainbow colours going through three uh, representations of of famous landmarks in Bristol. So, at, at the forefront of anything with design is that it needs to be for a purpose, and the purpose of this is to advertise Bristol Pride. So, it was things in Bristol, you know, with rainbows over the top to signify that. You know, it's the, you know, it's it's connected to and goes through everything that you see in Bristol. It's like you know, accepting so because that's the people who live here. Um, so that that's basically where the design point of view came in. And then you say, uh, like, where do you go with it? It's basically that just just keeping it very clean and very simple and very clear message. That's what it is. And then the updated version was just changing it from something that's very dark to something that's very light, just because. 
you know, just just from saying that, you can kind of picture like like oh, that's very like drab, whereas this one's much more bright. And it's interesting on that change as well. If you look at it now, it looks much more like a a celebration, like a party, because there's like uh, there's these little triangle colors spraying all over the place on on the poster, which is much more like you know a celebration. Whereas before, it's very very stilted, very static. This one's got a little more like more more movement in it. Mm. But yeah, it's the same same concept really, which is like show things that is very stereotypically Bristol, and also you know make sure it's very clear that the rainbow is in there somewhere, light and bright and colourful celebration. Yeah. No, Joy, good, let's that sort of thing. Yeah, let's let's talk more about the the, the like your design work then. Um, not just not just with pride, but the design in general. I've realised um, I've admired your your work from from day one, and you always seem to be either on trend or even ahead <laughs> of of what's happening. And mm. like, uh, I guess you spend a lot of time researching and learning new skills. Um, this might be another two part question because um, mm. for those up and coming digital designers or animators listening to this um mm. number one what advice would you give to help them getting into the freelance game uh and my second question uh, how can they stay as relevant as you do um i think to answer both questions at the same time it's kind of like fear in that that you know if you've got a permanent job uh and you've got work coming in you're less likely to reach out try new things or even you know, want to grow or anything, especially if you enjoy your job, because at the end of the day, it's like, you've got a paid job, you're working in, let's say, graphic design, like I was back in the day. And, um, you know, there's no reason for you to grow because, you know, you can just worry about what's happening in your life rather than what's happening at work. But then again, there, there is, I'd say, like people like I, like me, like, like the things that I used to want, which is creativity is my life, you know, it's what I enjoy doing outside of work and inside work so and to be honest it's the only thing i'm good at as well <laughs> so like um i have to be making something so trying new things is always the goal for me and i think i think back then i was uh in very much into my f- photography as well so it's just like there's no such thing as like oh this is my career this is what i'm going to do forever because i've changed career now three times all in the sort of design field but you know, going from graphic design to web design to now 3D and animation. So, and other than graphic design, I have no studies in the others. And it's just literally wanting to learn, wanting to grow, trying to do do new things. Not because, uh, you know, oh my God, I need to keep up with what's in the trend or anything like that. It's just you want to make sure what is the trend so that people in, you know like what you do. But especially when freelance is a thing, you need to get clients, you need to get work. And sometimes having more strings to your bow, you know, just means you've got a larger net to to throw over, you know, your, all your clients that you want to try and attract. And uh, not having work also makes you want to be like, well, I need to be as good as, you know, your rivals, your, your peers. So, yeah, you keep up in the game, you practice your skill, and potentially you try and learn new skills. So that's pretty much why... Um, and any advice I'd give to, you know, any sort of person in the design industry, whether they're going into freelance or a permanent job is never stop learning because like I say, things can, things can quite easily get 
stale. And it's one of the reasons that I don't do graphic design anymore because, and this is no offense to anyone who is in graphic design, but um, like a lot of it is based on rules and rules that are trendy as well. You say about trends, like graphic design is very, very, almost like year by year, there are trends. And a lot of the time it's very regimented and very measured out when it comes to graphic design. So um, you follow a lot of rules. And sometimes for someone like me, it's like, like the nitty gritty parts of design doesn't interest me. It does to some people. I've met people who love it. Um, and yeah, just just try, trying to stay relevant by being creative and trying new things is the way to go, really. So never stop learning. If there's something that interests you, just give it a go. And at the end of the day, if you want to learn something, the bonus you have you know, now over always going to college to learn new things is you've got things like YouTube and online tutorials and classes and things. You can just, you don't even have to spend money a lot of the time as long as you've got the programs to use and things like that. Mm. Yeah. Explain to me what TikTok has done for you as a creative. Mm. Well, uh, broader sense is that I used to use just Instagram because obviously TikTok wasn't around. And uh, Instagram for me was a place where I would post uh, my 3D content. So, and it would be content that I'm sort of messing about with. It wouldn't be, it sometimes would be things for portfolio to try and get work, but I never really used Instagram in that way. And I never used it as, I did a little bit for like, you know, selfies and things like, like everyone does, but it was more, look what I'm doing creative or in my life and things like that. And when I'd make something new in 3D that, you know, I was learning. So I'd try something out and I'm happy with the result. I would post it. And then over time, it just sort of naturally, I started mixing in some things that I was interested in with like pop culture and things. And it ended up being primarily Pokemon focused. Not that I'm like the biggest Pokemon fan or anything. It's just that was one of the things I did. And because Pokemon is such a big franchise in the world, uh, people love it. So I did more and more of that. And then it just kind of like, you just go with it. Like, like if, if someone's giving you loads of views and loads of positive feedback on something, on the one concept, you, you, your natural thing is that, oh, I should be doing more of that. Um, so you do that. And eventually, you know, it can be the only thing you do. Um, and I try and intersperse it with some of my own characters, as you know, my little dragons that I have that are mine, but they're very similar to Pokemon. So it kind of fits in quite well. And the original plan for using social media was uh, to make an audience similar to the, what I'm trying to market to, uh, to make a, my own uh, comic. So, you know, mm. my comic. And it's like, I've been doing it for years. I, I planned it one out and everything. It's just finding the time to, you know, push it further. So unfortunately, there's nothing really to show these days. But um, the thing is, I have now got that audience, which is great. So that was Instagram and that was sort of blowing up around the time. I think it had something like, I don't know, 15,000 followers or something at, at that point. Uh, right now, it's something like 45,000, which is still not like the biggest account in the world, but it's still really good for just my own artwork. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Um, and then TikTok came on the scene and it was still a good half a year before, you know, but it was getting focus and people knew what tiktok was that i actually got into it and everyone used to say and they still do today oh that's the kids app you know oh that's for kids no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. the thing about those comments you got to understand if there's a social media not every social media pl 
platform is going to take off. But the ones that do take off, you have to understand, like, there, there's this, I I'm no expert in this, but there is this, uh, like, hierarchy of uh, users that you have when you start a business or uh, social media. And it basically is, like, you have the you have the people, the, what are they called, the, uh, I think it's not the influencers, they're the second phase. It's sort of like the early adopters, that's it. So you have the early adopters. They might be the people you download your app or they use your website or anything like that or your product or something. And they're the ones who will always be there. They're really enthusiastic about your product, but they also go on a bit of a leap of faith because, you know, the, the influencers, the next level up, is the ones who have seen it work for other people and they want a piece of the pie. And then mm. you have the, the late, um, what they call the late uh, adopters who are like the last phase, which is like general public. And then it's like, by then it's dead. Like there's no point at that point. Like then, then you're just fighting with the competition. And uh, I was in the influencer bracket because, uh, I hate that word, but <laughs> just uh, <laughs> uh, digital creator is better. But uh, yeah, the early adopters, those people who are on it and then people say oh they're all kids of course they are because kids are the people who you market to they're the biggest audience when it comes to a new thing and they're likely to to you know try it out and with tiktok uh you know it's all based around dancing so there is no 3d in there like there's no 3d or art on there at least not when i was on there so getting in there early is the key and when I got on there, like I was already growing on Instagram on my own. That's fine. But then when I got in TikTok, I literally didn't know anyone who was doing anything similar to what I was doing. And instantly, just that early adopter approach means that, boom, I had, I had like, um, I think it grew to something like 200,000 followers in about the space of three weeks. It was ridiculous. Um, and it's mostly Pokemon at that point. Um, to this day, it's uh, I think it's just gone over six hundred thousand. Yeah, followers. I've got your stats in front of me here. Six hundred thousand, over six hundred thousand followers. You have seven point two million likes. Yeah, like there were certain it's... videos which blow up, and there's certain videos that don't. And then part of that is learning what the algorithm is on TikTok. And the problem with the algorithm on TikTok is it it prefers you to post every single day at the same time very similar content. It's not just not feasible for what I do because mm. I'd have to make it, I'd have to render it, and have to edit it and upload it and everything within a day. That's that's like a full time job, like, and I don't get paid for it. So, um, I'm these days I have a regimented like once a week. That's what I do now. But there have been moments when I've been like, okay, I'll try and do like I store up a load of them and I'll post them like every other day, and that works. Like, um, if you if I posted say three over the space of a week they'd all do really well. And if one doesn't do well, the next one might do well. And then the one before will then grow into about the same sort of size. It's really, it's really strange. You get to, you get used to the algorithm on there, but it's basically, you, do, you can't change your hash, hashtags or your focus. Like it, it likes you to do the exact same thing over and over again. So yeah. there's been posts where it won't be Pokemon. It'd be one of my dragons and it won't do so well, but then the next Pokemon one will do well. And then it will spill over into that. So it's kind of like do you a balance. Use the same like hashtags for every single post, even if uh, it's not I Pokemon? do. Um, on TikTok, it's changed its algorithm in the past, say, month and a half. Um, it used to be hashtags didn't really do much for you. Um, it's more about the song choices 
on there because that's what they originally their platform was built around, which is music. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a way to listen to music and your favorite artist mixed with dancing and stuff like that. That's that's how people are supposed to use it. But now, of course, it's a bit more mixed in with comedy and news and viral and all sorts. So um, it's a lot more competition now, but you can do it. And so if you're on TikTok, I w- my advice would be be consistent. And uh, so be consistent as in like similar content. Like, like don't do the same thing. I've seen people post literally the same post every single day in a different T-shirt. And it kind of works, but you've got to understand people are going to get bored, even the ones who follow you. So you may have the followers, but you may not have the views because you're not doing anything new and people will just ignore you, right? So stay consistent and just keep at it. Like, like it, it's not instant, but if you just follow those rules, you'll, you'll get there. Like, it just works, you know? But when, when, if you do find something, yeah, you should try and focus on it. But I've seen people find something that works, focus on it way too much until their content is just that and it just doesn't work because people get bored. You know, after a couple of weeks of it, you get bored no matter what it is. Yeah, yeah they, they lose focus. And and uh, I think you're right. If you find that one thing that works, try and just keep with that and uh, change it up a little bit. Mm. Um, I want to I jump into our little throwback machine here, our Wayback Machine. Um, what, what year did you start working in the, the, the graphic design field? So after uni, uh, I sort of finished my studies about 98, I think. And then, uh, I had a couple years, uh, my first job and doing some freelance for small clients. And then after that, I finally got onto like, you know, a a job I was happy with before that. It was all very much like, you know, rubbish first jobs. Um, and then once I was actually fully employed full time for a company, I stayed that way for a good, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years, yeah, 12 years, something like that, uh, jumping from company to company for different reasons. Uh, and it wasn't until I went freelance just because, yeah, I, my last two jobs were the most interesting because one, in, one job was very creative but didn't pay well, and the other one wasn't creative at all but paid really well. And because I went from one to the other, it was kind of like, I'm enjoying this creative job, but I need bills if I want to, you know, I need payment if I want to move on with my life in general. And then when I went to somewhere where that was paying me, but still work was just very corporate and dull, I was just like, this isn't making me happy. And that's when I learned that for me, at least some people it works, but you know, for me, at least it's just money doesn't equal happiness for me. So it's just like, as long as I'm happy with the work I'm doing, I'm happy, even if I'm not on a great wage. So I was like, I'll go freelance. And that's pretty much where it all came from. Mm, the, the reason that I ask, though, is because we see it in the, in the music industry in the past kind of 20, 25 years that um, the the LGBTQ plus community has been very well represented. And I'm talking not only from uh, the actual music that's that's kind of accepted now. Uh, this this story is about the way the BBC have acted towards like and let's let's quote unquote gay songs back in the day. Um, but I'm talking about the behind the scenes. Um, major record labels are now doing a lot more. There's more policies in place. 
when you were working back in an office, and I know you sometimes, it may not be because of COVID, you sometimes go in and out of offices to this day as well. Mm. Do you feel like there is policies in place in other creative industries? Is it just the music industry? And and if not, what does the, let's say, design industry have to do to, to look after the LGBTQ plus community even more? I would say that, you know, most creative fields naturally, you know, you end up stereotypically having a lot of, you know, gay focused people, you know, employees. Um, and I think that's just a, I guess it's just a genetic thing or we're just very much allowed to express ourselves, you know, openly freely because we're used to it. But I, I don't know. It's like, in my experience, I'm trying to think of all the different jobs I worked in. I wouldn't say it was the majority of the people I worked with. And I wouldn't even say it was like more than a handful in different places. I would say it's actually underrepresented when it comes to um, uh, just, just my peers. And I wouldn't say it's uh, a fault of the industry. I wouldn't say like people are being shunned or pushed out or anything. I just don't remember ever seeing any. But I do remember um, one of my bosses more recently asking me uh, in the 3D industry, they were having a conversation with a different agency, you know, in this complex. And they were just talking about the 3D industry as a whole and, and females in like female in the 3D industry, because and the boss turned to me as a freelancer and went, Dave, you've worked in different places. Would you say you, you've ever run into many uh, female 3D artists? And I, was, I had to think, I was like, I still to this day don't, physically in real life other than like you know online i don't know any female 3d artists now you, now you mention it which is really strange <laughs> dog. we can hear the dog it's fine we can continue <laughs> neighbor was there a neighbor yeah nightmare yeah. dog <laughs> but it, it's okay. Um, just in case you lost your train of thought, of course, you said about uh, females in the uh, the 3D industry. Yeah, so so I just found that very, very interesting because when you sit back and think about it, it's like, that's a very good point. Like, it's a very male-centric, and I don't think it's because of the industry. It's, I think it's probably more because of the type of personality that you would get doing 3D. I don't know. It's It's very linked to, say gaming culture and things and again it's like i know there's supposed to be a lot of lady gamers out there but even in my circle of friends i would say i know more male than female I, I don't know maybe it's just my circle of friends but um i don't know if that's intentional or not but i wouldn't say that there's anything that stops people in the sort of design field being uh gay or lgbt or anything like that and and doing the, the role or being shunned for it or anything like that but I would say it's lacking in my experience for some reason. I think, I think the last thing I'll ask you then, um, of course, I said we went back in the, the throwback machine just then. Uh, and this is a question I, I asked every guest and it's, it's really interesting to see the answers. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Hmm. hmm. What advice would I give to my younger self? I think... Um, I think ask for more money yeah. <laughs> because uh, I think in my entire career, even right now, I would say I've always been underpaid and that's because 
if you don't speak up about it, why would anyone pay you anymore? And I found that waiting around for a pay rise in any sort of industry, like if you're doing, if you're not doing anything wrong and you're doing a good job at what you do and the bosses are telling you so, then they should be rewarding that behavior. And if they don't, then there's no reason why you shouldn't jump ship and go somewhere where you are appreciated. And I used to do that a lot. I jumped around a few different jobs uh, in my earlier career. And it was always because I never thought I was getting the money I was meant to be getting at what I was doing in my level. And looking back, I was absolutely right. Like, that is how it was. But then there's also this other thing of like, if you're a small agency, then there's, there's only so much they can they can shell out. But even today, as a freelancer, it's very difficult to to say to a new client who's just phoned you up in that split moment where you know nothing about them, how much do you charge? That's a very difficult question because it literally comes down to uh, you know your skill base and what you're comfortable with, but also what they're expecting, and also what t- what type of size of agency they are. Because if they're a tiny agency, you don't want to you know, overprice them. And, but then if they're a huge agency and you, you put in a low number, then again, you, uh, you're getting the short stick either way. Cause either, either way you either ain't going to get the work cause you're, you're asking for too much or you ain't going to get, you are going to get the work, but then you're not going to be doing it, you know, at the level it's, it's meant for. And like I said earlier, it's like, I would rather be doing creative work than get paid loads. So if a, if a good job comes in, or if I haven't got any work on, then I'd rather be working than not working. You know, that makes sense. But it's, you know, it's trying trying to price yourself is very difficult in any sort of freelance industry because no one wants to talk about it. Like you can't go up to another free, you know, your your friend who's also in freelance and say, "How much do you charge this client?" Because uh, even if you're friendly with them, it's just kind of like, you know, and that's apparently our, our culture. That's been bred into us because apparently uh, there's been studies done that if everyone actually was honest about how much they earn everyone always thinks that everyone's gonna you know shun the person who's getting loads and loads of money when actually you shun the boss above you because it's their fault for you know not even it out and being honest but wow. we make it seem like oh no we can't talk about it because it's taboo but no if we did talk about it you'd know and then you'd be able to complain that's See, <laughs> that's the one thing people will take away from this interview. Go, go, ask all your friends and your colleagues how much do you earn. If they're happy with it, do it. You'll yeah. be, uh, you'll be surprised. I think. <laughs> Either way, you'll be surprised. So we get a lot of artists, um, producers. We get a lot of creatives, of course, jumping from platform to platform. The platform, it's it's TikTok, it's Instagram. Um, someone who has found success on there. How has social media helped you find work? Right. So, so I originally uh, was using Instagram as a way to like practice and show off my portfolio, which in turn, thinking, oh yeah, someone in the industry might see that and be like, oh, that's some cool stuff. Can you? Can you do this similar project for me and everything? And even though that's very possible, you know, um, especially today, I get a lot of people asking, oh, I want a video or I want some, a music video is a very good example. Like, oh, I want a music video with a Pokemon in. I actually have done that. Um, or, uh, oh, I've got a 3D character I want to have in my music video or, you know, a producer. There's all this sort of stuff. 
And yeah, you can get those jobs, but they they don't tend to turn into lucrative or long-term things. And I find that, um, I suppose it's how you set it up as well, because you can also do things like sponsorships and stuff like that, but that's a different area. But it, it's a tricky thing because I find that having a big social media following hasn't really affected my day-to-day job. It's gave me, it gives, it gives me a lot of connections all around the world. Like that's, that's what I do love about it. I've made a lot of friends that I actually do with cool close friends and they live all over the planet and it's brilliant because if I ever wanted to travel or anything like that, I know where to go. And also there's like, uh, I've talked to people in Hollywood. I've got directors and things that have talked to me and I have that connection. I know people in like TV shows that have been, you know, big TV shows and I can literally just pick up the phone and talk to them. It's it's kind of crazy, like the the fame and stuff you can get from it. But has it changed my day-to-day job? No. And I find that weird because everything that I post and everything I do is very skewed around the fact that it's my portfolio, my work, and like, oh, see my website and come to you know my other networks and things. And people don't do that. It's it's weird. Like people don't use the the facilities for doing that but it can happen it can happen it's just much rarer you know and even with like tiktok tiktok's kind of strange in the way that you need to follow someone else for them to follow to to be able to talk to you so it's very difficult to someone go i like your work unless you've got like you know a link or something to your website or an email or something um so i i'd just be very wary of that sort of like um, oh, I need to make it big on these platforms and therefore I'll make money because even though you're seeing a lot, especially on Instagram, you're seeing a lot of pretty finished posts that doesn't necessarily equal that person has loads of money. You know, there's probably something else that they actually do in their life that does make money. It's very rare. It's not, that's not to say there isn't people doing that, but it's a different, it really is case by case. A massive thank you to David. And if you want to follow him, he's at Dave Liquid Lizard on TikTok and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, we're at The Famous Co. That's at The Famous Co. There you'll be able to check out more interviews, AMAs, tips and tricks, and exclusive content. My name is Zaid. Go ahead, tap that subscribe or follow button, and we'll see you all next time. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.